Hi, welcome to podcast number 58 from Help with Parkinson's. Our guest today is Dr. Supermanian, movement disorder specialist from Hershey Medical Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Warren Butfinick. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sue. Hello. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for coming. This could have a good, interesting show today. It's something we do periodically, but it's always good, especially now that we're thinking about the the, the care of treatment is catching Parkinson's as early as possible, which is a little bit different than it used to be. So this is uh, early signs of Parkinson's. Yeah. So you want to start off, Dr. Sue? Yeah. So um, I think this is an old topic, but it's probably worth um, bringing it back in. Um, what is Parkinson's disease? How is it recognized? What are the earliest signs of Parkinson's disease? When should it be treated and when should it not be treated? Uh, these are sort of interesting questions that people are asking around um, with the availability of more data. Um, so the basics are what we're probably going to go over the first part of this, uh, and then we'll talk about the treatment options. Um, and the importance of this topic is we always have to weigh risk versus benefit ratio for any treatment. What are the risks? What are the benefits? And is the risk outweigh the benefits? Is it worth doing it? So Parkinson's, as most of you know, is still defined by its motor symptoms. And the classic motor symptoms are the resting tremor, typically affects one side of your body, um, usually in the hands, although it can rarely occur in the legs. Um, and very rarely, very uncommonly, it can start in the chin. Uh, but uh, it's almost always uh, starts in one side of the body. So unilateral onset of resting tremor is the classic feature of idiopathic Parkinson's disease. And then the second feature is bradykinesia, slowness of movement, that is either manifest by reduced arm swing or difficulty with dexterity, like putting on buttons, taking off buttons, um, putting your lasers on or doing crafts, like using a screwdriver or using tools, um, other tasks that require fine dexterity, that's becoming harder. And especially happens on one hand and not on the other. That's usually an early sign of Parkinson's disease. Again, these are not seen in isolation. They're seen in combination. So typically, tremor and bradykinesia occurs together. And then uh, there are other signs and symptoms. We'll first focus on symptoms. Symptoms are things that people experience as opposed to being detected by a doctor or a nurse or a therapist. So um, the symptoms include uh, difficulty with uh, smell, smell dysfunction. And this can happen many years before Parkinson's disease. And usually it's an indication that Maybe it's coming. But of course, smell dysfunction can occur in many other diseases, like Alzheimer's disease, ALS, many other diseases can also have it. And then um, sleep dysfunction. Uh, one classic one is the so-called REM behavioral disorder, RBD, where people act out their dreams late in their sleep, in the middle of the night. And so RBD can be an early indication of Parkinson's disease. Again. RBD can occur without Parkinson's disease ever happening, but 
when it happens in combination, it's, it's an interesting proposition that it might be the case. Uh, constipation, well over 80% patients with Parkinson's disease develop constipation at some point or the other, but when it happens early and when it happens in combination of all these other symptoms that we talked about, um, again, not in isolation, typically it's seen in combination. You just have constipation doesn't mean that you're going to get Parkinson's disease. It could be a, you know, sort of a biomarker, and we're looking more and more into that. And then there are um, some less common um, symptoms that, and signs that will uh, be harbinger for Parkinson's disease. Many people have shoulder pain especially in the arm that doesn't move as well. They can have shoulder pain. They can have pain in the wrist and often misdiagnosed as carpal tunnel syndrome because many people have mild carpal tunnel syndrome and they have pain in the wrist. And wrist pain can often show up in the shoulder because what we call referred pain. Um, and people get MRIs of their neck, the scans of their head done, scans of their neck done and often misdiagnosed as disc herniation uh, and carpal tunnel, but it all could be early findings of Parkinson's disease. So diffuse nonspecific pain in the upper limb or in the neck or shoulder could be a harbinger for Parkinson's disease. Again, not in isolation. If you just have that symptom, nobody should be diagnosed with Parkinson's. It's uh, looking at it in combination with other things um, that can lead to uh, this uh, finding. Uh, in addition, there could be cognitive symptoms. So people could have some mild difficulty with thinking and memory, although very uncommon in early Parkinson's disease. Uh, occasionally, rarely, you can have something we call bradyphrenia, slowness of thinking. So basically, this is a situation where you're asked a question and normally you are very prompt with the answer. You already know the answer in your head before the, even the person asked the question because this is something you really know well. But to produce the answer, it takes a little extra millisecond. And that extra millisecond bothers you. You become aware that you're, you're taking a little extra millisecond to do some things. And then there are few symptoms that are less common but can occasionally happen. One is gait imbalance. Gait imbalance is usually a symptom of late Parkinson's disease, usually not happen in early Parkinson's disease. But there is a very small proportion of Parkinson's disease patients who have gait predominant symptoms early in their disease. This is a very small number of people, very controversial um, topic. Many people debate whether this even exists. Uh, even good neurologists, good movement disorder specialists debate whether there is such an entity because this particular subform, so-called gait-predominant variety of Parkinson's disease, um, can be easily be mistaken from many other diseases. Just a little bit of arthritis in both knees, which is very common in elderly folks, can make you walk slower and make you look like you may have Parkinson's, so which is not the case. You have pseudo-Parkinson's in that case. Um, it can also happen in many people who have many strokes in their brain, what we call um, vascular Parkinsonism. Again, rare, uncommon, but it can masquerade itself as Parkinson's disease. Um, 
many other disorders such as hip disease, arthritis of the back, they can all make you look slow in your walking and make you look as if you have um, symptoms of Parkinson's disease. So it's a controversial one, but we will include that very small percentage, perhaps no more than two to 5% of people have this gait predominant variety of Parkinson's disease. So it's uncommon, it's not a very prominent form of the disease. So that's the other um, symptom. Now let's move to signs of early Parkinson's disease. Sign is something that others are able to detect. The patient themselves don't detect it. It's usually noticed by family members and mostly by doctors and nurses and therapists who will observe it. And the, one of the most prominent sign is rigidity. Uh, rigidity is a unique uh, sign. It involves um, tightness of muscles when you move it passively. Uh, so this is not something a patient themselves are able to feel. You can't just move your hands around and say, oh, I'm rigid. You can say that, but that's not what we mean when we say rigidity. Rigidity is something when the patient is relaxed, not thinking about what the doctor, the nurse, or the therapist is doing. They are distracted. And while they are in that situation, if the doctor, nurse, or therapist is moving their limbs, they feel an inherent tightness to the muscle. And that plastic state of muscle, the muscle uh, elasticity, uh, is a measure of um, how the brain is sending signals to the muscle and its inherent resting state. So this is called rigidity. And that can be elevated in patients with Parkinson's disease. Again, not in isolation, but in combination with tremor and bradykinesia, it can be a clincher for the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. So um, that's another sign. Then there are many other signs which are sometimes seen and sometimes not seen. One is diminished facial expression. So um, the common thing that people say is that a person doesn't smile as much, doesn't sh show animated facial expression. The lack of expression, a stoic face, reptilian stare, etc., are, are described for it. Again, not seen in very early Parkinson's disease because, as I already mentioned, it affects only one side of the body. So when it affects only one half of your face, it's more subtle, more not easy to detect, but it can be seen, especially if an astute physician who is very experienced is looking at somebody, they can say, oh, your one side of the face is not as moving as much. It can be easily confused with other things. For example, people who are slightly depressed don't smile that much, um, and they can develop what we call pseudo-Parkinsonism because they just don't smile, they're not animated, um, and that can make you look as if you have Parkinson's. So many people with depression do appear to be Parkinsonian. They're also slow in their movement because they're lethargic, and that doesn't make them having Parkinson's. So again, um, lack of facial expression is one thing uh, that can be included in the signs of Parkinson's, the early signs of Parkinson's. Reduced blink weight, another sign which means that um, people typically, when they are um, being uh, looked at, they will bring approximately um, five 
to six times uh, in a minute, sometimes much more, sometimes 10 times. Again, depending on how animated you are in a conversation or you're, what you're doing. But um, that blink rate can be reduced in people with um, Parkinson's disease. And again, an astute observer looking very carefully at the blink rate can determine that the blink rate is low. The blink rate can also be low on one eyelid compared to the other eyelid. And this can happen very early Parkinson's disease. So the number of times uh, the eyelid closes on one side may be fewer than the other side. And that could be an early sign of um, Parkinson's disease. Chin trauma, which again uh, can be a sign because the patient themselves may not notice it, um, that the chin might tremble uh, just below the lip. Uh, again, a sign of early Parkinson's disease, especially if it, it's only trembling on one side of the body, not on the other side. Uh, that could be an harbinger for early Parkinson's disease. There are other symptoms and signs, um, autonomic disturbance, you know, uh, sweating, um, you know, many other things that can happen, but they are less frequent in early Parkinson's disease. What I went over right now are the features that are commonly seen in early mild Parkinson's disease, the subtlest versions of the disease when you first see it. Now, the problem with um, these signs and symptoms is that they are very subjective. Um, they are to be weighted against many other things that happen to people, which can be easily confused with Parkinson's disease. So many patients who come to see me have either visited with Dr. Google on the internet and they've read up on signs and symptoms and they will come and tell me they have this symptom or that symptom or this sign or the other sign. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. We have to put everything together to make it fit. There's a natural history of the disease. Over what time course does the symptoms and sign occur? And what patterns do they emerge in? And where do they occur and how do they occur? They all have to be put together in a logical fashion in order for it to meet the criteria of Parkinson's disease. Taken in isolation, any one symptom can easily be confused with something else and any one sign can be confused with something else and you'll be in a totally wrong diagnosis. So it's really important that a very careful history is taken and a very careful sequencing of how events took place is evaluated by the doctor or the nurse or the provider and then put everything together mentally in the picture. One other thing you need to remember is that many of these symptoms and signs that we described so far for early Parkinson's disease can also be produced by medications and or other diseases such as trauma and um, such as certain operations, things like that can also do the, produce some of these symptoms. Um, so therefore, it's important that these are weighted and they are carefully vetted by the provider so that they actually uh, make sure that what they call uh, Parkinson's is truly Parkinson's disease. And then the last part of it is the natural progression of the disease. So many physicians, if they're unsure of the diagnosis, will also say, hey, let's observe you over time. Let's have you come back in three months and let's revisit 
your symptoms or let's see you back in six months and revisit you. And at that time, there may be more surety with the diagnosis and we can be uh, more, more, more clear, yeah, this is Parkinson's disease. Uh, because typically symptoms do progress over time. But then again, one should not hurry up and say, well, I'll just see you next week and you can tell me next week whether I have Parkinson's disease or not. You can't because disease progression in Parkinson's disease is relatively slow. And it's not uncommon that it takes six months to a year uh, for the disease to evolve. As we have covered in many previous podcasts, we don't have a reliable good uh, biomarker for definitive diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. So it continues to be a clinical one, continues to be based on evaluation of the patient carefully by a doctor and um, asking these very valid questions and doing a very careful examination that a definitive diagnosis of Parkinson's disease can be made. Uh, now, why, is, why are we going over all of these things today? Uh, the question is, when do we treat uh, the symptoms of Parkinson's disease and how do we treat it? And when they say early treatment, how early is early? And what is the uh, benchmark for deciding uh, treatment? Uh, and, and what aggressive methods we have to be taken for these treatments? So um, I'll pause here and ask Warren to um, ask any questions you may have. Uh, what we had, uh, we had planned uh, to do for this uh, series of podcasts was to cover the symptoms first, and then uh, we'll come back and do in a separate podcast when to treat um, and what to treat. Okay. Okay, so uh, I guess my question is kind of what you were saying about doing next week, but, but it's, uh, I, what's prompted me to get this started today was somebody told me at the support group meeting that they were diagnosed with Parkinson's and was told to take their Cinemet one to two times a day depending on how they feel. And that seems, uh, and, that, and their symptoms really weren't, weren't that pronounced. Would you, does that seem like old therapy or is there something? Definitely old therapy and wrong therapy. Yeah. Um, because uh, we have gone over this uh, many times, but I think it's important to emphasize it again that uh, the cinemat slash carbidopa levodopa has a relatively short half-life. Blood half-life is only two to three hours, and brain half-life is anywhere between four to six hours. Maybe in early Parkinson's disease, you can get away with six hours, but uh, most people would agree it doesn't give you more than six hours. So taking it twice a day as and when you feel symptoms is not the right thing to do. It's uh, going to set you up for more complications of therapy, so it's not a good uh, therapeutic advice. And... Um, so it comes back to what we talked about before. You have to have um, proper diagnosis, proper counseling, and proper treatment advice. Right. And it seems like she was only getting side effects because the way she's taking it, because she would actually not take it if she's driving somewhere, which is... Yeah. So all those things, unfortunately, is wrong advice. And again, I'm not sure... Uh, whether the patient was actually told to do so or right. just the instructions were not properly um, right. properly communicated. So again, we're second-guessing everything. But let's just make sure that people um, 
that listening to our podcast here understand the logic of treatment uh, is not based on just when you feel symptoms, but the holistic view of how you treat the patient in a big picture. But before going there, before going to the treatment, which will be the second part of our, our podcast, I just want to make sure if there are things about the symptoms and signs of early Parkinson's disease, how it can be confused with many other diseases. Uh, it's, it's really, really an important uh, piece of, uh, piece of uh, statistic that everybody needs to know. Uh, in fact, there is a recent um, paper that came out uh, in one of the journals, it's um, movement disorders, uh, practical clinical uh, neurology journal, that um, an author, a set of authors went over uh, what are the key findings of early Parkinson's disease and how they can be um, differentiated. So the title of the article is Pseudosyndromes Associated with Parkinson's Disease. And uh, it's in the latest issue, the August uh, 2019 issue of Neurology Clinical Practice. Uh, it's a great um, summary of uh, what, was, uh, what we discussed here today. Um, and it talks about a number of different conditions that can be uh, confused easily for um, Parkinson's disease. Um, another example of what we didn't cover but it's probably worth uh, talking about briefly, is uh, apathy. Uh, apathy is this symptom where uh, people don't have an interest in different things um, and, you know, sort of uh, blah feeling, a blah feeling of not being doing well. And people with this blah feeling will also have diminished facial expression, lack of interest in doing things, and overall reduced activity, and that can easily be... Um, mistaken for Parkinson's disease. And uh, the others in this, this uh, paper, uh, which uh, I'm, I'm happy to send a link to, which you can cite in your website, um, talks about what we call pseudo-dementia of Parkinsonism. It's really not dementia, but pseudo-dementia uh, make you look like you have dementia, but you don't have it. Or pseudo-depression of Parkinson's disease. Uh, which can again happen with people who have sleep disorders, people who are simply demoralized at work, for example. They have a really horrific um, boss and they're being mistreated every day and they're just demoralized. They can easily look as if they're Parkinsonian because they always have their shoulders down, facial expression is down, they're morose, they're crabby, they're you know, part of irritable. Um, and in the right setting, you can easily misdiagnose. Um, the other one is um, pseudo-Parkinsonism of depression, where people who are sad, who don't move their face that much, um, who are tearful, crying, um, that can be another one. Anxiety disorder versus um, uh, pseudo-anxiety of, of Parkinson's. These are people who are um, just anxious for whatever reason, and they may have a little tremor uh, because they're anxious. They may have some trepidation. They might be and see a little bit, and that can be easily mistaken for uh, Parkinson's disease. So all of these things um, can be mistaken for Parkinson's disease, and these pseudo findings can be, um, uh, can be an issue. So it really needs to be looked at carefully before we make uh, uh, treatment choices. 
Uh, the take-home points, and there were four of them that, and I'll just read them from this article. The first one is that apathy is a disabling feature of Parkinson's disease that can often accompany depression, but also commonly occurs in the absence of depression. So in other words, you can have it, apathy can be there as part of depression without Parkinson's disease, but it can also be part of Parkinson's disease. And it's important that the clinician be able to recognize it. Assessment of cognitive function is potentially confounded in patients with Parkinson's disease who have marked bradyphrenia, apathy, and depression. So if you're really slow in your answers and you're just taking more time to give your answers, you can easily be diagnosed as having cognitive, cognitive problems when in fact it's not. You're just slightly slow. You're not actually forgetful, but you're just slightly slow and you can be missed. Third point is acute anxiety, panic attacks, and cognitive complaints are symptoms that might occur as a manifestation of non-motor fluctuations of Parkinson's disease. Again, it doesn't happen in early disease, but um, if you're delayed in your diagnosis and you miss the diagnosis, you already may have some of the non-motor features such as panic attacks, severe anxiety, and I've seen this happen in patients who were mistreated, untreated, or um, poorly treated that have these symptoms. The last point is sad facial expression, hypomimia, pseudobulba crying, sleep disorders, bradyphrenia, anhedonia, demoralization, and fatigue are symptoms that might suggest depression but can occur in PD in the absence of depression. So again, the idea is that these are all overlapping symptoms and the doctor needs to be able to distinguish between these non-Parkinson symptoms and Parkinson's because it can happen in both settings. It can happen in both Parkinson's and in conditions that are not Parkinson's. So it's very important that the doctor have the subspecialty training to be able to see it, look at it, and make a correct diagnosis. And unfortunately or fortunately, whichever way you want to think about it, there is no definitive test. It's really still doctor's opinion um, as to whether you have it or you don't have it. Um, there are tests that we can do and it's probably worth mentioning at this point before we jump to our next podcast about treatment that some tests can be useful. Uh, so if the doctor is unsure and they're just longitudinally following you, seeing you every six months and saying, okay, I'm not sure whether you have the treatment or not, whether, uh, whether you have the diagnosis or not, and they can do something called a spec scan, single photon emission tomography, and it's to look at something called the dopamine transporter, DAT. So that spect can be done. Um, it helps differentiate um, non-Parkinsonian syndromes from Parkinsonian syndromes. So it still doesn't diagnose Parkinson's disease for sure, but it gives you some clues. It helps you understand whether you have a disease that is not Parkinson's disease. Um, but even within Parkinson's disease and its subtypes, it does not allow you to differentiate. Uh, this is a common myth that if you have a spec done and the spec is positive, it's a sure proof that it's Parkinson's disease. That's not at all true. That's a myth and it's a wrong impression. Spec helps you rule out other diseases other than Parkinson's. An example would be central tremor or anxiety or depression or people who have psychiatric illnesses and taking medications for psychiatric illness, um, they can be differentiated from Parkinsonian syndromes. But within Parkinsonian syndromes, um, it's not a useful test to differentiate. So you still may not have 
classic idiopathic Parkinson's disease, um, even though your dad scan became positive. What about other tests, blood tests, uh, MRI, uh, so on and so forth? They're typically not useful. They don't provide any useful information to clinch the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. They're usually done to exclude other diseases. So for example, it's not uncommon for a primary care doctor to check your thyroid levels because if you have thyrotoxicosis, extra thyroid, you could get tremors. So, and if that's very easily treatable, it's also a common illness. Uh, thyrotoxicosis is a fairly common illness. So uh, it's not uncommon for doctors to check your blood thyroid levels to make sure that that's okay. MRI is also done to make sure that you don't have any structural lesions. Uh, for example, a stroke or sometimes check whether you have a very rare condition called neuro, uh, normal pressure hydrocephalus. Um, very, very rare condition, but occasionally there may be some uh, clues that the doctor might say, oh, let's check it, let's make sure that that's not the case. So that may be it. And then if you're younger, we do check for other conditions like Wilson's disease. And we might check serum copper ceruloplasmin and send you to the eye doctor to have your eyes checked. But this would typically be for people who are quite young or some unusual um, symptoms show up. Um, for example, I had recently a patient who had rapid onset Parkinson's disease. As all the symptoms became very quickly come on within two years. And he and his wife were adamant that he was completely symptom-free two years ago. And within two years, he was, he was already affected on both sides of the body, which is very unusual. Uh, so again, we were real skeptical about the diagnosis, but we took our time, we did the spec scan. We also um, did several other investigations to be sure that uh, it was indeed Parkinson's disease. So uh, again, the point I think of this podcast today is to make everybody aware that both symptoms and sign can be very subtle, very um, uh, difficult to prove one way or the other. And it needs to be looked at holistically, take the patient as a whole and take very careful history, good exam, and sometimes longitudinally follow people in order to make a clear diagnosis of Parkinson's disease with and without tests when necessary. Yeah, I have, I have noticed something from talking to a lot of the Parkinson's patients is when you, they go first go to the doctor, neurologist, they, they go through multiple ones and doctors say they don't know what it is. Then they find one that says, I think you have Parkinson's, and they treat them with, with underdosing. So mm -hmm. that I don't think they're really sure what it is. But, mm -hmm. they, so, but they either get a doctor that says they don't know what it is or that's Parkinson's. They don't, they don't follow people to, to see if it's Parkinson's, it seems. Unfortunately, that's a very um, incorrect way of approaching. Um, so... Um, I can understand when a doctor is unsure, they may want to try medication for a therapeutic trial to see whether it helps the patient. And I don't see anything wrong with it. But then again, when you're going to try something therapeutically, and we'll get to that in a minute uh, when we go to our, uh, or we'll do it next week when we go to our um, second podcast, um, it needs to be done correctly. And, and the therapeutic trial has to be done in a way that it's meaningful uh, gives both the patient a chance and the medication a chance to see if it's effective. Then you can use it as a, as a test to see whether you have Parkinson's or not. So, yeah, I can understand that, but it seems like they still make the appointment, the next appointment, six months to a year. Mm. 
And that's that's what concerned me when I... that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So uh, if we have covered, if you if you feel warned that we have covered the early symptoms and signs well enough, um, we will end this uh, podcast right now, and we will certainly cover next week the um, idea of uh, when to start treatment. Yeah. So just one, just just one more question. Yeah. And, uh, when you keep saying new, newly di- newly diagnosed Parkinson's or first. No, beginning stage Parkinson's, P- people get confused what that means exactly. Is that, is that until you get to the second stage or is that a time period? No, I think it's, uh, uh, it's exactly what it means. Meaning if you have never been previously diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and nobody told you you have Parkinson's disease, the first time you're going to go see a doctor and the doctor is making the judgment call as to whether you have Parkinson's disease or not. That's what we're talking about. Newly diagnosed means you've never been diagnosed before. You're just coming and you're being evaluated by a doctor for the first time. Now, that first time is also subjective, right? Like you just said, you know, you could have seen a primary care doctor first or you might have seen a PA for the first time. The PA might have said, "Eh, you know, I don't know if there's a touch of Parkinson's disease, you know, go see a neurologist. And, or they say, hey, you know, you may have a touch of Parkinson's disease. I'm just going to keep an eye on it. And I'll come back and see you in six months. That's another option. Third option is that um, whoever saw you referred you to a neurologist, but you didn't get an appointment for eight to nine months. And you're just waiting for this appointment. And during that time, you're still pondering, you know, is this Parkinson's or not? But my point is from a provider perspective, from a specialist perspective, what I'm saying is that during that period, right, the period when somebody, either you or the doctor or your spouse or whoever, told you, hey, it looks like you may have a touch of Parkinson's, go check it out. Until the time that somebody made a definitive diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, that time period, whatever that might be, a month, a week, you know, nine months, a year, whatever that time period may be, that's, when we're, that's the time period that we're talking about in terms of what the symptoms and signs are. Okay. So even if you have very slow-moving Parkinson's after you've the first seen by a doctor, they tell you what it is and you take medication. For the next visit, you're not, you're not a newly diagnosed patient anymore. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, it's, whoever makes that diagnosis has to be definitive about it. So let's go over that example. So let's say you, you went to see a uh, – let's pretend it's your primary care doctor – the primary care doctor has seen you for the last five years. You just went for a physical. During the physical, the doctor said, yeah, you know, you have a little bit of a tremor in your right hand. Um, looks like you may have a touch of Parkinson's disease. I'm not sure. I'm going to give you some medicines. Let's see you back in six months, let's say. Or next time I see you, I'll, I'll see how you are. Well, as we're going to talk about in the next week's podcast, it depends on how and when that doctor gave you the medicine and whether, A, were you advised to take it correctly, A, B, did you actually do what the doctor told you to do, and C, what was the result of it? If it did, did it produce a result? Did you not produce a result? So all of those things will depend on whether you say you're newly diagnosed or non-newly diagnosed. So we'll chat about this more in our next week's podcast where we'll go over how do you make that treatment decision? When do you make the treatment decision? And, and what makes you decide whether you want to have treatment or not? Good. Okay, so I think we've hit the first day. So we'll, we'll pick this up next week. Okay, super. Good, Thanks. Uh, good talking to you. Yep. Same here. Bye. Bye.